0: Log Talk Radio. Welcome to On Trial, starring Mark Radlich, also starring Sean Comer. Ready, Hollywood, because you're on trial. All right, the Honorable Judge Fudge presiding. Court is now in session. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to On Trial, brought to you by the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network. And I am that namesake, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And I'll be your prosecuting attorney for these proceedings. Tonight, on the docket, because this is all things DC this week, we've got Batman v. Superman, or as we like to call it, Batman Very Superman, Dawn of Justice. The uh, preceding movie to Justice League, which we reviewed on Damn You Hollywood, Now, this is one of those rare instances where we go back and talk about a movie that was already reviewed on Damn You Hollywood. It's not something I like to do very often. I kind of, you know, I want to talk about new things, and when we've done it on a previous show, I like to shut the book on it and really not go back and revisit them. But this really so much to talk about with Batman v Superman in light of how Justice League has gone which of you haven't seen the movie yet uh, I implore you go see it it's a a breezy two hours of a video game you can't play Um, however uh, there's a lot to talk about with this movie so it'll be a lot of fun especially as I bring out our defense attorney for the evening when we went back and uh, reviewed Damn You Hollywood, the reviewed Batman v. Superman for Damn You Hollywood, I had a lot of uh, kind things to say. I I defended this movie. Uh, We did an entire podcast called In Defense of Man of Steel, even before that. So, I'm on record as having a lot of positive things to say, despite it all, for the movies in the D.C. cinematic universe. Uh, So, tonight, I'm in the rare position of Prosecuting a movie I really, really liked. And Sean's in the, uh, in the position of defending a movie he's not so fond of. So here he is, folks, my co-host with the most, Mr. Sean Comer for the defense. How do you do, sir?
1: Hi, everybody. I'm Sean. You're not. And I'm trying to tie an ice pack into my leg and make sure that little doggy death wish over here doesn't get my two chocolate peanut butter cookies. Yeah, you. Yes, I'm looking at you. Try to hide under your paw.
0: Got a lot of balls in the air tonight, don't you, sir? <laughs> uh,
1: well, yeah. You well, plus
0: got,
1: well, plus I also just got. Well, plus I also just I beat the other people in the household home from uh, the Friendsgiving celebration they invited me to. Yeah. Uh, they knew I had to leave a little okay. bit, Leave a little bit early. So, yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm going to be trying to talk about this at least temporarily while I'm using a bathrobe to try and tie an ice pack around my left leg.
0: What did you do to yourself? So, Why are you tying an ice pack around your leg? Uh,
1: Well, as far as I can tell, um, it, it has all the symptoms of something called IT band syndrome, basically um, uh, a, a structure that kind of holds the knee together is I think it's I think it's stretched a little too far or out of place and it's resulted in the outside of my left knee being swollen and tight and from what I can tell the it's nothing serious um i have um i since I sit for most of the day about once an hour I get up for about ten or fifteen minutes and stretch, and I have some pretty lengthy ones that i go that I go through to try to loosen my my thighs up. And one of them I think I just went a little too deep into it and bent uh my left leg in a way that it wasn't supposed to. <laughs> so oh, that's
0: not good.
1: I've been Yeah, um it's it's felt it hasn't it hasn't been sore so much the last day or two since I've been icing it and popping ba- popping ibuprofen like they're Skittles. But it still feels just a little bit wobbly and, and kind of off. So pretty much any chance I can, I'm putting on like an episode of The Punisher
0: and uh, icing my leg through half of it. Okay. So, well, I hope your leg gets better soon. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get into Thank Batman Very Superman. Uh, the agenda for the evening is Sean's going to give us a brief uh, look at the notes. I will do a brief uh, synopsis, and then I will start the preceding arguments with my prosecution. He will come to the defense. I will have the last word. We'll commit, and then that'll be the end of that. All right, here we go. John, what do you know? All right,
1: well, Batman, very Superman. (laughs) There's no way. I cannot keep from calling it that. Uh, uh, Our good friend Cole Marentette has ingrained it in me that that is all but the official name of the movie. Uh, This is... Depending on how you look at it, it's either the first or second chapter in Warner Brothers' build to a proper unified DC cinematic universe. Of course, that's not what they called it. They called it the DC EU, the DC Extended Universe. Whatever. But it's. What it actually is, is it's. Kinda, of, sort of a direct or indirect sequel to Man of Steel, uh, the 2013 Superman re- revival that came before it, to massive box office, but somewhat mixed fan and critical reviews. There were definitely a lot of people who had their problems, who had their problems with it. I'll just assume everybody has seen it. They weren't crazy about the notion that Superman actually killed Zod. Uh, how kind of sort of—it's the word I'm looking for—almost uh, cavalier he was about destroying great swaths of Metropolis to bring him down. The fact that young super—that young Clark Kent um let a busload of his um was advised by his adoptive earth father to you know let that that you know, basically basically saying maybe you should have just let that busload of your classmates die. Um but lots of problems with that one. This continues that story, as Mark will point out, by picking up not all that long after those events left off and dealing in a great sense with the fallout from those. Um, The reason I say it's a buildup to the DCEU and to Justice League, which just came out recently, is the fact that it indeed focuses on what is a long and storied, Mark, would you say respectful rivalry between Batman and Superman? Is respectful the right word? Friendly, even? Um, Yes.
0: I would say, depending on the cartoon that you're talking about or the comic book you're referring to, respectful but suspicious.
1: Uh, good. Okay. Yeah. Respectful, but respectful, but suspicious uh, on both parts. In that sense, it's it's kind of equal. And story-wise, if you want to look at the crux of the source material, the foundations of it are sort of part The Dark Knight Returns, part Death of Superman. Oh, believe me, we'll get into that one. We, we we gonna get into that, um, but it introduces Ben Affleck, uh, Gal Gadot. As I as I found out this weekend, that is actually how you're supposed to pronounce her name, Gadot. Uh, as Wonder Woman of as Wonder Woman of course, and we also get uh, much more fleeting glimpses of Aquaman, Flash, and Cyborg, the three characters who would round out DC and Warner Brothers' choice for the first-ever cinematic Justice League. But this in particular was, after being written by a combination of Chris Terrio and David S. Goyer and directed by the ever-controversial Zack Snyder, Was released to massive fanfare on a uh, $250 million net budget, inflated to a $300 million gross budget. Oh, oh yeah, critical controversy notwithstanding, $873.3 million at the box office. Um all this despite the fact that it has an extremely bloated 151 minute running time. It was and there have been many directors over the years who have tried to bring a I won't I I won't even go into them all because it's such a twisting history and we only have so much time and I kinda want to get right into it. But it was a l it's been a long road to try to bring Either both a Batman versus Superman movie and a Justice League movie, two theaters. And this was the realization of it. And in terms of financial success, you cannot say that Warner Brothers came away disappointed. If they had, I have to think they probably would have just scrapped Justice League entirely. But. Here we are, for better or worse, this was the this was the sequel that we got that we got to Man of Steel, and I'm just going to preface this before I have to get in character and actually defend it. <sighs> problematic as Man of Steel was, Man of Steel was better. <laughs> I enjoyed Man of Steel vastly, vastly more than I enjoyed this, but before we get into that, um let's go ahead and open up the shall we say the discovery phase and uh, I will let my counterpart on the prosecution lay out the evidence for you the jury to see for yourselves. hear for yourselves. You use use one of your senses. I I don't care. You you use your fucking sixth sense of e- of ESP to perceive the evidence.
0: <laughs> Okay, well let's let's tell you what this movie was about, what what happens in this thing before we get into what's wrong with it. All right, so uh, eighteen months after the battle between Superman and Zod in Metropolis, Superman has become a controversial figure. Um, the movie picks up uh, right from the start with uh, the Battle of Metropolis. Uh, between Superman and Zod, but it's all done from the perspective of Bruce Wayne. I, sh- I should make a mention here that the whole thing starts off with uh, the cr- the credit sequence and it's, and, and, and it's Bruce Wayne's parents being killed for the upteenth time. And then him running away from the funeral, falling down the hole that will eventually become the Batcave and being molested by bats. So there's that. Uh, then we proceed to see the Battle of Metropolis from Bruce Wayne's perspective. He lands by helicopter. He goes running towards Wayne Financial, which is one of the buildings that uh, got knocked over in the melee. Um, he's hugging a little child who has been left parentless. One of his security guards has a girder fall on his legs, and he can't use them anymore. Um, and, you, and you see a glimpse of the rage that uh, is washing over Bruce Wayne. Um, from that point, we move to... There are dueling stories here. You have Batman's story and you have Superman's story. And I'm going to try not to belabor the points and, and try to get through these as quickly as I can. But, so Batman's strain of the story is this. He is searching for what we'll find out will be a ship called the White Portuguese. Uh, he's out there. He, he's fighting crime. He's punching cops. He's branding criminals. This is a Batman who has uh, has gone over the edge. He's more violent than he ever has been. That's his whole background at this point. We'll see glimpses of the, uh, of presumably Jason Todd having been killed by the Joker, you know, by looking at a uniform that's his Robin uniform that says haha the jokes on you. There's lines in the movie like 20 years in Gotham, how many promises have been broken, how many men are still honest. So, um and beyond that, the reason why Batman is looking for the white Portuguese is uh, this is a ship that is bringing over a huge chunk of kryptonite that was found in the Indian Ocean. And Batman, what he wants to do is take said kryptonite, fashion it into a weapon, and use it on Superman. Because, and this is the Dick Cheney 1% doctrine. If there's even a 1% doctrine, that, uh, if there's even a 1% chance that Superman can turn on the human race, we have to take it as an absolute certainty, and we have to uh, preemptively uh, kill this guy before he can wipe out the rest of the world. That is one long plot point in this movie. It's a driving force of this whole thing. And i got to come back to it in my prosecution, because parallel to what's happening with Bruce Wayne, you have Lex Luthor who is, quote-unquote, trying to manipulate an already angry Batman, an already motivated Batman, into taking down Superman. And why does Lex Luthor want to take down Superman? His whole philosophy in the movie is that it's a gods and monsters kind of a thing. Uh, He looks at Superman as as a threat to himself, as a threat to humanity, much the same way Batman does. And he, too, wants to see... Uh, Superman be taken care of before he renders the human race, you know, a moot point. I've got, I'm really going to have to come back to that in in a few minutes, but let's move on. So he's goading Batman to, to do his bidding. He's sending him, uh, he somehow interrupted a flow of checks to go to that security guard I mentioned before and um, writing things on them. Like you let your family die and things like that. Uh there's a there's a long uh, interplay between Lex Luthor and Holly Hunter's Senate character from, the junior senator from Kentucky, where he wants to get the kryptonite in and she's trying to stop them. And then there's a jar of piss on her desk. Moving on. Um, so what's happening with soups? What's Superman doing these days? Well, we find Lois Lane in in Africa and she's. Interviewing a warlord. Uh, Everything goes sideways. Lex Luthor, we'll find out, has mercenaries there to create uh, a bad scene. Uh, Superman shows up, saves Lois like like he does, but this sets off a chain of events. We have a woman who is in one of the nearby villages testifying before the Senate saying, you know, because Superman interfered in a situation he shouldn't have, my village got torched. And this goes on and on and on where where it goes back to people basically complaining about Superman and the question being asked by Holly Hunter. The world's been obsessed with what Superman can do. No one's asking the question, what should Superman do? To the point to where Superman just sort of throwing, throwing his hands up and going, why do I even bother? And we get some flashes of Superman actually saving people, but he always looks annoyed while doing so. He saves a little girl in Mexico during the Day of the Dead. He saves a crew of astronauts on a space shuttle, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Lois Lane, uh, in the midst of all of this, uh, nearly is shot with what appears to be some sort of futuristic experimental bullet. Um, and she's sort of instrumental in how things are connected to Lex Luthor in all of this. It's a way overcomplicated plot with where that's concerned. In any case, everything builds to a fever pitch where Lex Luthor kidnaps Superman's mother and puts her in harm's way. Superman goes to deal with him, and Lex Luthor says, do what you want with me, but you'll never find your mother unless you face Batman. And at this point, Batman has gotten the kryptonite. He's fashioned it into a spear, because why not? Um And Superman goes to goes to talk to Batman in earnest to try to tell him, hey, Lex Luthor's got my mom. We're being manipulated to fight each other. And Batman will hear none of it. Uh, They get into a after about two hours, they finally fight in a movie called Batman v. Superman. Uh, Batman hits him with everything, including the kitchen sink at one point. And, it, you know, he nearly kills Superman, and, and Superman in his, in his, on his deathbed says, you're going to let them kill Martha. Martha is, of course, Martha Kent. Martha is also the deceased Martha Wayne. And in a post-traumatic stress disorder flashback si- situation, <laughs> that man goes, why? Why did you say Martha. Because Martha's her name, you see, and Martha was her name, you see. And so he's like, oh, why are we talking about my mama. I, no, you're talking about my mama. So finally, Batman take, gets control over himself, and Lois shows up in the ta-da nick of time, and she says, hey, dum-dums, you, you shouldn't be fighting each other. You need to go fight Lex Luthor and save her mother. And Batman sort of shakes it off and goes, okay, whoops, I, sorry, I have done fucked up. Um, and decides he's going to drop his feud with Superman and go save Superman's mother while Superman goes after Lex Luthor. And at this point, Lex Luthor has been doing a side project where he's going to create Doomsday with the, the use of Zod's DNA as a final deterrent in case things don't work out with Batman. So, see, the whole setup is... Either Batman's going to kill Superman, and if he doesn't, he'll get Doomsday to do it. Um, Doomsday comes to life. Superman uh, flies him out into space. They nuke him. Uh, He absorbs all the energy, comes down, looks more like Doomsday second time around. The first time around, he looked more like the Abomination from the Hulk movie uh, or one of the trolls from Lord of the Rings, whichever you like. In any case... Uh, Doomsday comes down His bones are protruding from his skin The way he's drawn in the comic Wonder Woman shows up We have the Trinity fighting Doomsday Uh, Lois ends up Retrieving the kryptonite spear Superman takes said kryptonite spear Impales Doomsday And himself in the process Superman dies There's a funeral Batman once again says Sorry, I've done fucked up I failed him in life I will not fail him in death and he says, there's a war coming, I can feel it in my bones, we need to recruit people, and that's your lead-in for Justice League. Okay. Where do I even begin with this? My... Here's the problem, and I said this to Sean. In, 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 in the, for the sake of honesty, I'm going to say about two-thirds of this movie I actually really, really like and I think is really solid. What I don't think we needed was Lex Luthor. I don't think we needed his character, and I'm really irritated with his characterization. I actually don't have a problem with Jesse Eisenberg as such. You know, Jesse Eisenberg was cast in a role, was given lines to deliver, characterization to portray, and I think he did a great job of doing exactly what Zack Snyder wanted. Here's the problem: it's a shittily written character. I cite for you the example of the uh, the library donation high society party scene, where he's trying to give a speech about a go- you know again gods and monsters, and he's messing it up, and just tripping over himself. And it's how does that make for an interesting or malevolent villain? It just seems like he's neurotic and has no sense of control over himself. So I'm not wild about the characterization of Lex Luthor in this movie, but I don't even think he was necessary, as I said before. Batman had all the motivation in the world to take down Superman. I said it before. He saw if there's a 1% chance that Superman will turn on the human race, he has to take it as an absolute certainty. Well, if you've already decided Superman has to go, you've already decided to murder this person, why do you need Lex Luthor to quote-unquote goad him on? I, I bring this up because it's a major problem with this movie. If you take out the Lex Luthor elements, and along with it, the unnecessary doomsday character... You can still kind of keep the third act where they, they join forces to, to, you know, to save his mom or whatever. But I still don't think you need Lex Luthor prodding Batman along. Batman had sufficient motivation. Here's my other problem with this movie. Man of Steel was about Superman coming to grips with saving people. Should he or shouldn't he? That's the whole I know people hate the idea of, you know, you should have let the entire bus slow to kids die. Okay, well Love it or hate it, it was an element of that movie, a very strong element of that movie. But I feel like that got resolved. He went by, by becoming Superman, by stepping out into the light and turning to the world and saying, I am Superman and I am here to save people They've already done they're they're done with that element to his character it's been resolved this felt like they were going back to the well again with superman you know his self-doubt and his frustration with you know the way people interpret his actions i think this is why people got so frustrated with this movie and rightly so there comes a point where superman has to be happy about being a hero or it's no longer superman and this movie Goes out of its way to portray a Superman who doesn't really want to save people anymore. And it's like between a Superman who is dour and frustrated and depressing and a Batman who is angry and frustrated and burnt out and has murder in his eyes, there's no one to root for in this movie. No one. This is a movie with two superheroes in it, and I don't want to root for either of them. One's a murderer. The other one's depressed. (laughs) Like, no wonder people loved Wonder Woman in this thing. She's not carrying, you know, two tons of baggage in this movie. Uh, You know, we'll get to Wonder Woman at a later date, the movie, where she's got some baggage going on. But, you know, this one... She just sort of shows up, you know, they play her theme music, and she hits Doomsday in the head with a sword. No wonder people loved her. So, other than the awkwardly confusing plot, the unnecessary plot points of of Lex Luthor goading Batman on, and two depressed superheroes having, you know, having a fight after two hours... I don't have a whole lot left to say in prosecution of this movie. There's a lot of stuff I like about it, but at the end of the day, no one's going, you know, this isn't the Watchmen. And I feel like Zack Snyder hasn't been able to get over making the Watchmen movie. Like everything has to be that. And that's not what these characters are. And this this whole movie needed to be reframed differently than what it was. Your witness, sir.
1: <laughs> okay. Had to with my phone for a moment. <clears throat> okay. Allow me to take you back and frame my case through. For- a big part of what makes this movie so interesting using pasta sauce I'm going somewhere with this, believe me uh, back in the 1980s Campbell's Soup brought on board at the time a noted marketing and uh, guru of psychology named Howard Moskowitz uh, to help them with a the little problem they were having. You see the fact, see their pasta, their pasta sauce, Prego, was getting its and I may have this back had this backwards actually. Um no, oh, yeah, I have it right. Uh, their pasta sauce, Prego, was getting its ass kicked in the marketplace every which way by Ragù. So what they did Well, since he had already worked wonders at one point with similar needs brought to his attention by PepsiCo, they brought him in to help them narrow down the qualities of the quintessential pasta sauce, the perfect pasta sauce that Ragu could in no way, shape, or form possibly top. So what he did? Was he did something very similar to what he did when Pepsi enlisted him to try to find the perfect degree of sweetener in Diet Pepsi. He tried every kind of pasta sauce you could possibly you could possibly think of, thick, sm- thick, smooth with bits in it, no bits, on and on and on, every single individual one, and ultimately what he ended up telling the people at Campbell's was there is no perfect pasta sauce. There's only perfect pasta sauces. Because what he had done is he had taken the feedback that he got from all of his focus groups and found the common elements of all the sauces that they loved. And what he found was he found that there was one thing that everybody wanted, that no other purveyor of pasta sauces in the market was providing. And that was extra chunky. Nobody was making extra chunky. Until a short while later, Campbell's rolled out Prego Extra Chunky and they shot to the top of the market immediately, so much so that you can find extra chunky pasta sauces everywhere nowadays because suddenly everybody had to rush to keep up with them. In its own way, that is something that Warner Brothers and D.C. has been trying to do with their D.C.E.U. You've had fans who have asked along along the way, why can't you be more like Marvel? Look at everything we like about the MCU. Look at everything Marvel is getting right. Look at what they're do what they're doing with their movies. Why can't you be more like them? Well, as someone who grew up being compared to a better behaved, better achieving sibling, Sometimes that is the absolute last damn thing that you want to hear, especially when you want to go and do your own thing. And that's what this was. This was DC and Warner Brothers doing their own thing because DC and Marvel have always been disparate in a very important way. Marvel stories and characters for the most, they're more often, shall we say, Shakespearean dramas. They're they're a bit more down-to-earth. They tend to focus on ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances, but still with ordinary problems, but whose need, that unavoidable need to deal with those extraordinary circumstances is making those everyday issues just that much harder to cope with. On the other hand, DC is huge. It's operatic. Uh, prior to the lead up my colleague asked me at one point does anybody in the DC universe ever rob a bank anymore you know, why does everybody have to be why does everything have to be some, some grand battle with the fate of the earth or the universe its entirety at stake you know, why can't ever something just be just a little bit more normal Well, see, DC could have done what Marvel did, which was they took superheroes and made them a backdrop to different movie genres, as we've pointed out many, 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 many times. But they've done so while, for the most part, keeping their characters extremely authentic to the comics, giving the fans that experience of seeing just about exactly the characters that they grew up and knew and loved just brought faithfully, perfectly to life on the big screen and oh, god damn is it satisfying even when it's not really quite as good as you had hoped it would be I am sorry the Incredible Hulk I am looking at you You were good, but not perfect. Anyway, little sidetrack over. DC, on the other hand, that's not what they want to go for. They feel that that market, in a way, is already cornered. And I think that, in a way, they and Warner Brothers acknowledge that they're not going to out-Marvel Marvel not going to happen. They have nailed it. And they nail it dead center with almost every movie. So instead, they've done what they can to be extra chunky. They have done their damnedest to load their movies down with chunks. All the chunks you could want everything that no other movie is doing. Bring on them chunks. Chunks, 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 chunks. It's a funny word when you say it repeatedly. Chunks. Anyway. Uh, they're there to, to be big and sometimes grim and sometimes and sometimes operatic. And, yeah, is it sometimes to the detriment that they fit, that they kind of make every character and every story lately uh, seemingly as kind of maudlin and grim as a combination of Man of Steel, Watchmen, and Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight? Yeah, it is. But I commend them for aiming big to be different, and also to deliver fresh takes on their characters. They could have gone with the stalwart, seemingly unimpeachable Batman that we've seen so many times already on the big screen. They chose not to. They chose to... (laughs) Maybe this was their way of filming the best version of... The Dark Knight Returns that they reasonably possibly could with that somewhat bonkers story. And while still finding a way to tie it in to the big team-up movie they were building to. Because that really is the Bruce Wayne that they're getting here. We're getting that Bruce Wayne thrown in to a different timeline into a different scenario and it's intriguing because it's the notion of you know whereas we had a hard time swallowing the notion of Superman killing people and reducing a, reducing great swaths of Metropolis to rubble we could kind of more easily buy that Batman could eventually at some point be driven to this after all, as he points out, 20 years of this, 20 years he has been Batmanning, when you do that in a job that is basically the grandiose, violent, murderous equivalent of, <laughs> the, the, uh, of the exhausted housewife who cleans a house from top to bottom and five sec and five seconds later when five o'clock rolls around and the kids are home and the husband comes home it's trashed again. Yeah, eventually you are going to snap and you are going to and you are going to go Cameron and Ferris Bueller's day off gazu. In this case, that means toting guns and branding criminals. Part of me is reluctant to argue. And I have to give Ben Affleck credit. I do not believe that Affleck was a subpar or inadequate Bruce Batman or even Bruce Wayne. He wasn't. It's hard to fault him when he was given such a flawed script, and even then, he delivered what I felt was a worthy performance as the Batman that they needed because this is not Batman in his prime. This is this is definitely a a weary dark a weary dark knight who seems kind of reluctant to be dragged back into this but feels like but feels like he's needed. By the same token, this is a different take on Superman and I believe that Henry Cavill has been, from beginning to end so far, the right man for this part. He has not been the big blue Boy Scout because he hasn't been Superman for that long. This has been really a more grounded take that has made us think that at some point, early on in Superman's career, there had to be times when... He did make mistakes, and he was faced with consequences and uh, the possibility that yeah, Metropolis probably would be initially afraid of him because they'd never seen anything like anything like him. It takes a little bit more to heart the realities of yeah we we like to think that Superman kind of comes kind of comes into his role fully formed and Fully ready to be all about truth, justice, and the in the American way. But come on, really? Would he really be ready for it? And would society, even say as we know it today, would they be ready to just come right out and accept him as such? I don't really think so. I don't think he would. I have to give Gal Gadot a great deal of credit. I was one of the people who was most skeptical about her being cast as Wonder Woman. I hadn't been terribly impressed by what little I had seen of her acting physically. I thought, maybe she'll be up to it, but I think there there are people who would be better cut out for it. Yes, I was one of the people who said, Gina Carano. Gina Carano was in the same damn movie as her. You cast the wrong one. It, it's kind of like the joke, and we'll get into him in a minute about how when they cast Jesse Eisenberg, <laughs> the, the the running joke among some fans was, well, you tried to cast Heisenberg, but somebody made but somebody made a typo, referring, of course, to the rumor that at one point um, the great Brian Cranston was in the running to play, to play Luthor. And, again, I believe that could have, been great, could have been great casting too. But, again, before I diverge too much, no, uh, Gadot was outstanding. It, it was a glimpse of what was to come in the Wonder Woman solo movie we had waited such a damn long time for. Uh, mostly because she really didn't have to be Wonder Woman for most of the for most of the movie for a lot of it she just had to be Diana Prince and that helped. but you know when the reveal finally came finally came along it was handled wonderfully. This was definitely a unique way to set up that that founding core trinity of the Justice League, of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. It was a kind of story that hadn't been told before. And I believe that adaptations, especially when it comes to DC, can go a long way toward... Providing interesting new versions of the character that challenge audiences to see them in a bit of a different way, and can sometimes bleed over to changing the way they're portrayed in the comics or other media. Um, as such, was the case with. Again, it's it's weird that we have to point this out to audiences nowadays, but. Harley Quinn began as a character on Batman: The Animated Series. She didn't start out start out in the comics as this rich, complex character who's able to start so much of a psychological dialogue about about the psychology of abuse victims and abusive relationships. At times, um, it's kind of like how again, Batman: The Animated Series. It also served to further improve the backstory of Mr. Freeze to the point where he went from being ostensibly a throwaway villain to, along with characters like Clayface and Poison Ivy, all of a sudden one that became so much more fun to work in to latter-day storylines. So... I don't really see anything wrong with DC at least trying to do something a little bit different. Now, one thing I will concede. Did they do a better job with that with the three aforementioned characters than they did with Luthor? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Luthor is one of the atrocities of this movie that I will not even begin to challenge, except for the fact that I believe he was the right villain for them to start out with. I don't think it would have served them well at all to have gone directly to a bigger galactic threat, such as... Dark Side, or Bra- or Brainiac, or really just about anybody else, because you have to have somewhere to go. The greatest proof of that was the mistake that I will admit they made in trying to introduce Doomsday, because the reason the Death of Superman arc was so effective in the comics was the fact that you had room. To build up to that. It, you ha, you could build on decades of Superman being a nigh-invincible in, demigod. And then having to acknowledge, before, while unbeknownst to him, Doomsday is on his march toward Metropolis, that... One of these days, somebody is going to come along and get the better of him because that way you set up a world that has leaned on him to be its protector and then all of a sudden has to learn to live without him. That was, or depending on how you view the arc, at least could have been one of the most effective pillars of that story. You haven't built Superman up to that point in this movie. You've just thrown Doomsday out there because you know that he's one of the characters who has demonstrated he's capable of killing Superman. As opposed to having him come along and having that, that incredible drama of experiencing the full might of the beast who could beat the unbeatable Man of Steel. Okay, everybody, get your drinks, grab your beverages, pour them, crack open that beer, pour a shot, because it's time for the drinking game. If you've ever seen the SummerSlam World Championship match between Brock Lesnar and John Cena, you know exactly what I mean. What made that so incredible was the fact that up to that point, we had not seen anybody beat down Super Cena to the point that he couldn't mount that big, heroic, last-ditch comeback and remain standing at the end. Occasionally, somebody somebody would win the battle over him, but he would ultimately win the war. We had never seen him just dominated from bell to bell, just ragdoll, more or less like he was a heavily muscled tackling dummy. And you needed the right guy to do that, but at the same time, you needed in your mind to be able to sharply contrast that against everyone and everything he had already overcome and everything that he stood for he stood for, and everybody that was behind him—that in a way he was—he was sort of defending. Well, you didn't have that in this movie to nearly the extent that the extent that you could have. Uh, Doomsday was thrown out there, not so much as cannon fodder, I want to say, but he still felt kind of wasted by the whole thing. But, again, I won't necessarily fault them for trying to go to a different place with this origin story because sometimes that's not entirely bad. Sometimes you try something different and you come up with something and different ends up not being all that bad because it still kind of, make, kind of makes sense. And that's sort of what you have here. You have... Kryptonian DNA. In fact, not just that, but Kryptonian DNA from a foe that proved to be very much a match for Superman, and you combine him with just a little bit of the DNA of the DNA of Lex Luthor, which I guess supposed to gra- supposed to imbue him with some of Luthor's intelligence maybe if we're thinking that intelligence works that way so it's hard for me to really find any find anything wrong with that and similarly i got to give it to Zack Snyder because visually he was the right director for this movie I have to give him that, because you can say what you will about his sense of story, his sense of character development, his inability to employ even the slightest modicum of restraint in his style. But when it comes to shooting action, nobody does it quite like him. And this is no exception. If you want... He, he is the right man to make the DC Extended Universe look absolutely as awe-inspiring as it should. And quite frankly, I haven't seen Justice League quite yet, but I think that from what I've seen... Well, okay, with the exception of the visual effects the actual effects themselves, the way it's shot, he was on the right track before he unfortunately had to bow out due to the tragic suicide of, I believe it was his daughter. I apologize profusely if I, if I got that wrong.
0: That was his daughter.
1: Yeah, it was his daughter. Um, before he had to step away, again, I think he was, on, he was on the right track, and I wonder how much of the controversy that I've heard about the visual effects can be traced back to, well, you had another director having to come in and finish another guy's work. That's awkward, especially when it's somebody coming in at the tail end of a process in which Snyder had already invested so much. But, that being said, I've always believed that, for a director, Snyder is an amazing cinematographer. And that's one of the reasons why I actually think that Batman Very Superman was sort of on the right track is because between Snyder and David Goyer, you have two people who sometimes need the right collaborator in order to filter out their bullshit. Get ready for another round of the drinking game. They're the Vince Russo's of movie making. You pair them you pair them with the right people who can force them to take a step back or to say or to occasionally say, you were made of stupid, and you ultimately end up just strictly distilling the best parts of their imaginations. Um, in Goyer's case, uh, all you have to do is look at the fact that he co-wrote the first the first Blade movie, which was excellent because he got to work with Stephen Norrington. Um, I believe he co wrote Blade 2 with Guillermo del Toro direct, directing it. Blade Trinity, oh God, Blade Trinity. <laughs> um, pissed Wesley Snipes so off, off so badly that their, their on stage and behind, their behind the scenes fights have become legendary. But on the other hand, you have David Goyer collaborating alongside Christopher Nolan. And we get the, by and large, you know, vastly, mostly excellent Dark Knight trilogy. You bring him on board here, and oh, okay, we have a story that definitely goes goes a little bit off the rails. Some characters who are playing really awkward versions of them of themselves who are not set up all that all that well and it is kind of jarring. But by the same token, you've got Zack Snyder on board. You've got somebody who knows how to make an action movie look absolutely fan fucking tastic. His movies almost always look great. So but again, at the same time, somebody who uh, his narrative issues and um uh, well, sucker punch. We love Bart. <laughs> we love Bart. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Well, we love Bart. <laughs> but you know what? That's a good example. Thank you, Mark. That That is perfect, because even Bart sometimes had his moments of brilliance. Occasionally, not always, but occasionally, we have the moments when, the, when Bart exhibited just considerable talent at something. Like hockey, for example. Making movies look good, that is David Goyer's hockey. So, you put those two together, and you have an interesting but flawed story and you have, you know, visually interesting direct direction even if there's issues with the movie having a bloated, having a bloated runtime, uh, There's pacing issue. There's ideas. There's ideas that really probably should have just been scrapped scrapped entirely, the dream sequences were certainly more than a little bit fucking odd but it was almost there it was a good starting place to try to tell people we're taking these characters we're trying to stay true to the heart of them but we're trying to take them to different places and seeing where they take us and I like that because it, was, because it was delivering something different. Did it go movie by movie and introduce us to these characters one at a time? No. Because, again, if they had, fans would have howled, all you're doing is imitating Marvel. Give us something different. Be different. Well, lo and behold, they did. They did something different. They're basically doing things in reverse order. They gave us one movie that brought together the first half of the Justice League. Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Justice League, despite the fleeting glimpses that we got in Batman Very Superman, introduced us to the other three. And we already have solo films promised for two out of those three in Cyborg... Fuck it. You know what? I'm not even gonna make fun of him. I like Cyborg. I kinda wish I kind of wish we would get a Teen Titans movie at some point. Hell, I would love it if they would have him bran- have him branch off at, I don't know, found the Titans or something. I think that I think that would be outstanding. I would gladly go check that out. But it's a movie that was on the right track, and I have a hard time faulting it for trying to give comic fans something that tried to revolutionize the the brand and didn't feel like it was playing things too safe it took two major DC stories that have never been brought to the big screen in live action and tried to combine them it's hard to criticize somebody too much for ambition especially since it almost worked God damn it. You almost managed to pull it off. So, I have a hard time hating you. Good job, but please, DC, for the love of every character left that you haven't adapted yet, get your shit right. Get it right. Now. Jeff Johns,
0: I'm counting on you, buddy. Alright, no defense rest. One of the fun things about being the prosecutor is they get to, you know, when done right, you get to listen to what the defense says and goes, "Oh yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, here's why you're wrong." Um, <laughs> the defense brought <laughs> there were two things. One, the defense brought up the fact that they took the death of Superman and The Dark Knight Returns and mashed them together, much like the, much like how. Uh, the Dark Knight Trilogy takes year one uh, I'll stick with the last one um, takes uh, the Dark Knight Rises takes Nightfall and whatever the one with the earthquake that, that separates Gotham from the rest of the world uh, took those stories and mashed them together and kind of the Dark Knight Returns and made one movie out of it I mean, you can do that. You can do that. That's fine. But you'd have to be able to do it well. The downside to doing it and this is what I wanted to mention really briefly and I think this is a failure of Batman Very Superman is that they took the, the, they took these huge stories. And and threw them together and robbed us of being able to do them down the line where they would have been more significant, had more of an impact. I think it's okay, you know, you can do one of them. Preferably, The Dark Knight Returns, because I, because as Sean said, and I absolutely agree, doing a Batman at the end of his rope, uh, and, and having you know and feeling like he had to be drawn back into the world because of the threat of Superman was an interesting idea, and I'm absolutely made for, would have made for a, a great story. Then they overloaded it with the death of Superman. So that's a problem. This, they should have taken a, an idea like the Dark Knight Returns and the threat of Superman, and that really should have been the movie, and waited to kill off Superman at a later date. Um, number one. Number two, uh, we'll just leave it at that. I, I just overloading the movie with too many of DC's stories drove me uh, drove me up the wall. Drove a lot of the fans out of the theater, and I mean, you know, look, I've said it before. You know, Sean said, oh, you know, people would have demanded that DC do something different instead of copying Marvel. Doing something different doesn't necessarily make it good. You have to actually have to do it well. And and that's the problem. They overcomplicated this story. You had enough of a novelty with just Batman and Superman being in the same movie. And then making them fight one another was another novelty. You didn't need the added novelty of killing off Superman. Oh, that, that, that leads me to the second thing that Sean brought up that I need to t- discuss. So... Let's put aside Batman for a second. Way too much Batman talk. Let's talk about Superman. You know, I said before that a Superman who is at odds with himself and is coming to grips with being a savior and a hero is what Man of Steel was about. We did that already. That's the frustrating thing about this movie, is that we're not asking for Superman to show up fully formed. We're asking that his characterization continue to evolve from where we left him at the end of Man of Steel. This is, you sacked the quarterback and lost 20 yards. After all that, you know, if, if you've been running the ball up the field, eh, I'm doing a football analogy now for all you people who are like, they always do too many wrestling analogies. I'm down yeah, doing football, but you, you, know, you, you fought for every yard and you got you know, within 20 yards of the end zone and then the quarterback decides to go whoop de woo and run backwards and you lose 20 to 30 yards. You start, Dawn of, <laughs> you start Dawn of Justice with Superman being fourth and 30 from the goal line. It's ridiculous. We did this already. He came to grips with being a hero and he embraced it in the end. Now, you want to do a world that's still like, you know, in in traumatic shock from everything that happened in Metropolis. And you want. Here's the thing. He needed to be the Blue Boy Scout in a world that kind of hates him. That would have been interesting. How does somebody who just wants to do good deal with that? And there's glimmers of that, but it's murky because he doesn't come across as really embracing the hero role. That's really a lot of what's wrong with this movie. And I I said it before in my initial prosecution. You can't have two dour superheroes fighting each other. Then there's nobody to root for. You have two heels, essentially. Heel versus heel isn't really fun. Superman needed to be portrayed as a hero who just wants to do good. And is maybe, in, in a lot of ways, overcompensating for the fact that the world is suspicious of him. Batman needed to represent the world's paranoia. Superman needed to represent the best in all of us. And they don't even really do that in Justice League either. He just—he's just you know jokey and jovial, and hey, is this guy still bothering you? <laughs> they have failed to deliver the Superman we know and love and I almost hate to say this, but the Superman we know and love from the Christopher Reeve movies. You know, the best one with Richard Pryor. Superman 3. Ah, we all love that one, don't we? Uh, But seriously, folks. That's that's where I want to end this. It isn't that we wanted Superman to be fully formed. He can still be evolving as a character, but what he can't be is throwing, you know, there's a scene in in Dawn of Justice where he's talking to his mother, and the mother says, you don't owe this world anything. Be everything to them or be nothing. You don't owe this world anything. And he kind of smiles at that. It's like, oh, come on. You're supposed to be better than all of us. You're supposed to be a a ray of light. That was what the whole first movie was about. Be a beacon of hope. And he's not in this movie, and it's like, okay, well... What happened to everything that was accomplished with Man of Steel? You just tossed it in the trash so that Superman could be this angry, frustrated guy who you don't want to root for because he's overpowered. I mean, Batman is your villain, essentially, in Batman versus Superman. And I'm rooting for, I'm rooting for him because, you know, he's the dent, take a drink – he's the Daniel Bryan of this movie – And you have Superman, who is the authority Triple H. The prosecution rests. (laughs) So those are
1: my thoughts. Um, I, I, I would disagree about the whole bad guy versus bad guy thing not working. Bad guy versus bad guy can work. I because I hey, hey. because um, your, your judginess I point to the precedent of uh, Michaels v Martel from SummerSlam
0: 1992. Ugh! <laughs> I don't even remember hey, that. that.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa! Back that truck of lion tacos up, Mister King, Mister King of America's Wang. That was an awesome, underappreciated match. And it, and it was amusing as hell
0: to see two heels healing on each other. Well, as I was going to say, yes, it can work when written well. This wasn't. This, this, again, <laughs> I, I, I find myself rooting for Batman, who was trying to murder somebody in cold blood just in case he, <laughs> he, he, he turns evil. Like, this is ridiculous. Anyway,
1: I I do kind of I I do kind of wish we I do kind of wish we would get um, a storyline wherein we do
0: actually get two bad guys who are sort of warring with each other. I think that could be fun. Well, that's what Suicide Squad is. It's a team of bad guys versus an even badder person. That's what that's supposed to be about. But that's, look God, let's not talk about Suicide Squad. What a mishmash. Yeah,
1: yeah, um, but, and on. yeah but, you see that, but you see, that was a shitty version. That was another shitty version of that story. I <laughs> want to see a good bad guy versus bad guy.
0: Oh God, don't we all? <laughs> um, now, in all because if I. I'm all of a sudden Randall and Clerk. Randall and Clerk. <laughs> you're, and, you're, and
1: you're Dante. I want to go rent a movie. You work in a video store. I work in a shitty video store. I want to go rent a movie
0: from a good video store. I, um, If I could have rewritten this, I, I, first of all, I would have taken Wonder Woman out. Um, Wonder Woman didn't need to be there. And like I said before, the only reason why I feel like she was like the best part of the movie was she was the only one who seemed happy to be there. Um, I, I honestly think this should have been the great war between Superman and Batman. I honestly don't think you need Lex Luthor either. I think you had enough there with Batman just being over the edge and pissed off. I probably, you know, I would have taken out the Lex Luthor stuff. I would have probably padded Batman's story a little bit more, maybe, instead of showing his fucking parents being shot again. I might have actually, you know, I might have actually shown Jason Todd getting killed and just sort of, you know, like, just glimpses of Batman through the years so that we get so that we're caught up. The people who really really drive home the fact that, you know, that the Batman we're going to see in this movie is a Batman after all of these terrible things have happened. So you're there with Mm. him instead of, you know, instead of just being expressed in sort of exposition and dialogue. Um, And Mm. I would have absolutely had many, many scenes of Superman saving people and having it maybe go bad. You know, people are just like, boo, Superman, you know, we're afraid of you. Um, you know, and, and him talking to Lois, like, I, you know, I just want to do good. I'm trying to live up to what, you know. So, so
1: justifiably, you would have rather seen something a little more like what, like how a civil war played
0: out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to, yeah, I guess I wanted to see something more along those lines. Um. I'm okay with the third act, you know, with the third act being, you know, Batman has to save his mom and all of that. I'm actually, I, I've never had a problem with the Martha stuff. Uh, as much as I was kind of goofing on it before. I know everyone hates it. And there's like Martha, Martha, are we best friends now? Like, okay, but you're missing a lot of subtext when you do that. <laughs> um, you're just discounting the whole thing. Um, I, I got it. And I was like, okay, yeah, I, I totally get what they're trying to, what they were trying to do there. Um, I think the only struggle is then you still need you need a baron you need a baron zemo and I don't think Lex Luthor mm-hmm. should be reduced to the baron zemo role in Civil War let it be uh what's his face from the Supergirl show the uh, Max Lord maybe do a ma- maybe make Max Lord the villain you know somebody who you, hey, don't you know what I could have
1: yeah, you know I uh, I could have lived with that I mean especially since I mean, again, you know, in the comics, I know books is for burning. Shut the fuck up. Um, but especially since he had he had his interactions with Superman in the comics too, so that wouldn't have been
0: completely implausible. Yeah. Um, so so there's just a couple of different ideas. I don't know what what else I might have done to. to to make this a little bit better. I also would have had them interacting a lot sooner in the movie. I think that was the other frustration for people. It was, you know, it's kind of like watching WrestleMania. Now WrestleMania is an eight hour goddamn show. And by the time you get to the main event, everyone's exhausted. You know, by the time you got to the Mm -hmm. final fight between Batman and Superman, people were like, Oh my God, I've been waiting way too long for this. You know, because Mm -hmm. prior to that, they only had the one interaction and Superman just tears the, the doors off the Batmobile. And they're like, Hey, give up the kid give up being batman and batman goes mm, do you bleed <laughs> all right well, now mark you've seen you've seen the majority
1: of the DC animated universe movies correct i've seen them all okay um now you may have to help me out here cuz i may get the title of it wrong uh there was one in which you have a cabal of supervillains who have come together to exploit each... The, the individual weaknesses of each member of the Justice League. Uh, was that Justice League yeah, War, Doom. or... Which one was nope. it? It's, it's Doom. Doom. Okay, thank Justice you, Doom. Doom. I knew it was a one-word title. A um, uh, quick recommendation... If anybody wants to see a movie that really plays better with Batman's whole distrust of the possibility, as you put it, that 1% possibility that any member, not just Superman, but any member of the League might possibly go bad... That's a great one to check out, is go check out Doom. Uh, it's one that you couldn't really do cinematically without some proper build-up over several movies to introduce some of the villains. But since – when it comes to the DCAU, they do a lot of presuming of being uh, – that the audience is already familiar with who a lot of these rogues are, and since even when it is somebody who's relatively unfamiliar, they do a decent enough job of letting you know pretty concisely what they're all about. It's really pretty damn excellent. In fact, I think it's one of the better is one of the better DC AU movies out there. I mean, especially if the just one of the ones. best
0: ones. It, it's, yeah, it, it's great, absolutely. you know, because essentially it's it's the Legion of Doom hacks Batman's computer and steals all of his ideas for taking down the Justice League. And at one point, like, he's confronted about it, like like, why would you have, like, you know, Kryptonite and all this other stuff ready to go? And it's like, and Batman goes, because you're all gods. You're all overpowered gods and mm-hmm. no one can mm-hmm. stop you. And if one day you decide to just go crazy, we need a contingency plan. And, ba- and Superman's like, you're a little paranoid. That's never going to happen. And Batman says, you say that now. <laughs> you know, it's kind of awesome. It, it, and it really, it would have been, I, I would like to see that adapted into like a sequel to Justice League, but not not in its current iteration. Like if, like if they had built to it properly, and I do think they should have. I, jumping to, you, you had talked about it before and I didn't want to interrupt you, but they shotgunned Batman v Superman when they were, they were supposed to announce Man of Steel 2 at San Diego Comic Con, they mm. shotgunned instead Batman v be Superman because Avengers had just made a billion dollars. And the people at Warner Brothers who had no patience were like, uh, <laughs> we need an Avengers movie. Let's do Justice League. Um, you have one movie so far. <laughs> they had seven. <laughs> Slow the fuck down. Um, and the people at Warner Brothers said, no! Let, <laughs> we gotta do more. Let's take make three movies out of it you know so well and and to
1: be fair i think i think there's a way i think there are ways for warner brothers and dc to do what they do best but maybe take a few more cues from marvel in terms of not making some of the characters quite so far out of the box um i'll give you a good example The, the big news from the last few weeks or I shouldn't say big news, probably a little bit under the radar since it's not a DC character that a lot of mainstream fans are going to care about, but they're rumored to have already settled on who is going to play Shazam. Right. Have you heard who it is?
0: Yeah. Zach Levi.
1: Yeah. They want Zachary Levi. The problem with that, I don't doubt that Zachary Levi can get himself probably good and yoked up to play Earth's mightiest mortal. However, no matter how big he can reasonably get in that amount of time, he's still gonna look underwhelming next to the
0: rock. Yeah. Marvel Honestly they is... missed out in a They missed out on a great opportunity to have casted a really good kid as Billy Batson and then Shazam as The Rock as no oh, sorry Shazam as John Cena Uh yeah, you know what that would have been. That would have been outstanding. Um because
1: <laughs> yeah, for one thing, you already kind of have kind of have that history going for you there, but also as perfect as I really believe if he uh, remind me has has dwayne already been officially cast as Black Adam, or is that's still just heavily rumored
0: no he's he, he is Black Adam, and as a matter of fact, okay. there, are, there was talk about giving him his own solo movie, and now he's probably going to end up being in suicide squad too
1: okay then so so that's official he's going he's going to be Black Adam. The problem yep. with that being, who do you find to play the hero? who physically is going to be even re- who's going to look even remotely like a match for the most yoked up athletic looking action hero in Hollywood it's the same problem that came up when people were, br- were briefly thrown around, oh, hey, maybe Dwayne Johnson could play John Stewart in a Green Lantern movie. Oh, God. Well, then the problem would be then you'd have him in Justice League, and then at some point you'd have John Stewart standing next to fucking Superman – <laughs> and all and all of a sudden, Henry Cavill would look like a JV high school starting quarterback standing next to Tom Brady, and he is supposed to be the and Cavill is supposed to be playing the alpha superhero. It would not it would not work, and that's what and that's what I'm talking about. Marvel has got a knack visually for really helping, for really putting together at least moments in movies that feel like they could have been peeled right out of a comic panel. Um, DC so far has not been doing that because everybody has been too far removed from their characters. To a certain extent, again, I get it. You feel a need to make them to make them your own. Fine. But it also doesn't feel like I'm watching the characters that the characters that I love. That's one of the reasons why I'm now so worried about the Aquaman solo movie. I was down for it initially. I was excited because Number 1 James Wan James Wan is one of my favorite directors of all time. Just about any just about any genre in no small part because I absolutely love the saw movies. I think they I think the one that especially the first one encapsulated what was really great about it. But I especially but I also love his movies after that because they don't really deal ...in that many fake-outs. For the most part, he builds tension and he delivers on it. He knows how to get something genuine out out of his performers. But then I watch the trailers and the preview footage from Justice League... ...and I see Jason Momoa and I just go, Sweet! Fuck! Now I understand why they gave you as few lines as possible on Game of Thrones! I I see why your direction must have just consisted of show up, no shirt, scowl. That that's about it because oh, dear god. <laughs> good guy, I'm sh- good guy, I'm sure, but we're supposed to be talking about the stately king of Atlantis here. Not getting that vibe. It's not, it's not even a matter of oh well, okay, he's taking the heart of that character. No, no, he, he just isn't. He's he's more like young Robert Baratheon, King of Atlantis. <laughs> is is what he might is what he might as well be. Sweet fuck, like in the Dark Knight, yeah, okay, Heath Ledger might have colored the Joker a little bit differently than most people. But underneath that, if you look past the vocal delivery and the slightly, diff- and the slightly different look, it still had all the earmarks of, earmarks of the Joker. Gal Gadot worked as Wonder Woman because everything was still recognizable as Wonder Woman. Same with Henry Cavill. Same to a certain extent with Ben, with ben Affleck. I don't feel like they're looking at these characters on the pages or, other, or in other media where they've been depicted really well, like, say, the Injustice video games, and going, okay, that. We need to find somebody who can fulfill that look. That is what's really going to look, going to look great on screen. Because otherwise, they would have taken one look at Zachary Levi and gone – no. You, you might make a good booster gold down the line, but when we decide to make that movie, or if we, or maybe a um, uh, uh, Blue Beetle movie or something at some point, we'll we'll call you. But you, as as Shazam, going one on going one on one with the Great One. No. Go back to the buy more, Chuck. <laughs> And I say that as a Chuck fan, but okay. Anyway,
0: <laughs> that, that ramble aside, <laughs> I think this was a good case this week. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I've been talking a lot about these DCU movies, DCEU movies a lot this week. Um, you know, Pat and I and, and Robert Winfrey, we, we, we talked a lot about the problems, the history, the problems with the DC Cinematic Universe. And, and, and here's what I said, and I'm going to end it with this, because I'm just repeating. Pretty much after Aquaman, possibly including Aquaman, depending on how you look at it, we've reached the last page of the Zack Snyder envisioned DC Universe. All of the movies that had his stink on them, as such, including Wonder Woman, are now out or in the can, ready for release or whatever. Everything going forward is being shot now, post Jeff Johns being given the reins and Zack Snyder being tossed into the street. So Shazam, Wonder Woman 2, uh, Green Lanterns Corps and cyborg which are all you know all have verified dates of release are all going to be under the helm of Jeff Johns who is now the Kevin Feige of this universe there's a chance that by the end of 2020 we're going to look back at this and go okay there was a clear there was a clear change from where things had been and things got a lot better if by, the, if by 2020 and when Green Lantern Corps comes out, we're still having the discussions of why, oh, why are all these movies depressing and sad and look terrible? Then, yeah, there's no fucking hope here. <laughs> well, and, and you know, Johns
1: is, still Johns is not perfect, but when it comes to defending him, there's one thing that I always come back to. And you could call it a knee jerk. You could say that my knowledge of comics is limited, and that's fine feel free. I would admit, uh, compared to how long I've been fans of other media, I am relatively new to comics. But one of the things that I've always respected him most for is for the way that he revived Green Lantern. Um, Not only that, but took it further than it had ever been before. And he did it by finding a way to repair Hal Jordan from the ground from the ground up. He took some wonky continuity and a lot of and a lot of gaps and a lot of nonsense and managed to find a reasonable compelling way to make sense of it and bring about balance and did it in a very in a very orderly way that brought him back around that fixed everything and integrated him into everyone and everything else that was already working about that about that universe. You could argue that the Flash rebirth was considerably less successful in in that regard and I and I get why because bringing Barry Allen back was much more controversial um especially considering the way considering the way that he died in crisis on infinite earths but I believe that if there's anybody who can be a good fixer because he possesses such a deep knowledge, love, and understanding of, understanding of the DC universe, I think it's John's. I really believe that he and maybe Jeff Loeb, um, if Loeb weren't otherwise very occupied with his Marvel Netflix netflix adventures um would be the guys to would be the guys to do it johns may sometimes know better and go ahead and do something stupid anyway but again it's the fact that it's encouraging that he's demonstrated that he knows better it's that i'm hoping that from here on out if someone like a David Goyer or a Zack Snyder comes up with some bonkers idea with how they want it, with where they want to take a character, he goes, okay, let me stop you right there and list out the million and one reasons I'm going to say no. Um, Because you have to have that person. If you're going to have your Vince Russo, you have to have a Jim Cornette and a Vince McMahon. You have to have at least one, if not two people, who are occasionally going to yank the choke chain and say, no bad puppy, no biscuit.
0: (laughs) No, you cannot do 87 different stories in this one movie. Stop that. (laughs) 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 All right. Um, Next week on the Rattletham Broadcasting Network, we've got some shows for you. We've got uh, source material looking at the Brian K. Vaughn run the uh, first 18 issues of The Runaways uh, in celebration of the new Hulu series, The Runaways, of which there are three episodes dropped so far. If you've got Hulu, go check that out. It's really good so far. Tuesday, we'll be reviewing the new Pixar movie Coco, which has already, I think, won the weekend over the uh, over Justice League, and we're, this is only Friday night. But uh, it's certified fresh. Pixar is, is once again uh, releasing... Some really, really good pictures here. So I uh, hope, if you, you know, if you have the inclination, go out and enjoy Coco. We'll talk about it on Tuesday. And then Wednesday is the Metal Hammer of Doom. We're going to review the new Countable Corpse, Red Before Black. And then we are, fa- we, we are fast forward into December. Uh, the week after that, we're going to do Welcome Home Frank on source material in honor of the new Punisher series. And speaking of which, we'll review that on that Tuesday. So look for those shows in the archives. This can, past can, week, can I, okay, can, I,
1: can I join at least one of those?
0: Uh yeah, you want you want to talk about you want to come on and talk about the Punisher uh, TV show? Oh fuck, I got to flip a coin because I'm
1: at, I'm the TV show and I say this as someone who dearly dearly loves, especially the first two Daredevils and uh, Jessica Jones in particular, uh, this might very well turn out to be my favorite, Mar- my favorite Marvel series yet. Um, yeah, I will, I will happily be on the talk. The show would be better because it has been years since, uh, since I've
0: read Welcome Back, Frank, although I do love that book. All right. Well, if you want to do welcome back Frank as well, that we're recording on Monday to air the following Monday. Um, what's airing Monday is the Runaways, but we'll be recording Welcome Back Frank a week ahead of time. Um, so this is all two uh, weeks let's from. Let's just let's just let's just go with the uh, let's just go with the TV show. You, uh, who's doing the? Who's going to be on the show? At a minimum, it'll be me and Winfrey. So uh, you as well, I suppose. <laughs> I don't think anybody. You mean I, me, you... I, I don't. I don't know if anybody else is joining us. I I there was talk, but I don't know officially who's who else besides myself and Winfrey.
1: You, me, and
0: Winfrey. Fuck yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Right. I am there. Sounds good. Um Yeah, go check out the archive shows. Uh like I said on Monday we did the Dark Side War, uh, where NIS doesn't anyone rob a bank anymore. Um and I then I pitched an idea for the next big crossover in DC Comics. Hashtag syphilis is coming. Uh, syphilis would be the new big bad that wipes out the DC universe. Um, get it? Eh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then we review. Then myself, Pat, and Robert, uh, otherwise known as the old men who yell at clouds, reviewed Justice <laughs> League. <laughs> um wednesday was the metal hammer of doom where we looked back at we went in the way back machine and we looked at poisons look what the cat dragged in and boy was there a lot of fun to be had if you haven't listened to that show my daughter reads the lyrics to look what the cat dragged in it's hysterical give it a listen and then show. so (laughs) go ahead sean do your plugs
1: Okay, well, first off, before I get into that, uh, thank you each and every last one of you who both listens live to the show and downloads every week. We so, so greatly appreciate it. We are hard to believe we are now five years into basically being uh, one of the Wayne's worlds of the podcast, of the podcasting world. Uh, We just, we just kind of do this sometimes almost just as much to amuse ourselves as to amuse you. But we certainly hope that we're providing something informative and entertaining to you all, Uh, maybe the odd talking point here and there. Uh, Thank you, as always, to Jesse Starcher for that bomb-ass opening intro. I still, to this day, love that, almost just without even asking if we wanted it, you just went ahead and recorded that. (laughs) Uh, In no small part because I have many happy memories growing up with Night Court, so... Always nice to hear that theme music. Next best thing to hearing the dulcet tones of the Foo Fighters every two weeks. But as far as plugs go, hey, guess what? For once, I'm actually being creative outside of a podcast. And this time I'm not just, prom- just promising, oh, yeah, I've got something new coming. It's, it's going to be done soon. You're going to love it. No, it's actually already up. I have a new personal blog that has been up for about a week, uh, visit comercodex.wordpress.com There you will find a neat little compendium of all kinds of topics. Uh, Lately this week, I've been talking mostly about a combination of music and general news. Uh, I've got a semi-daily series called The Juke Joint in which I just pick one of my favorite songs from either my iTunes library or my Spotify, and just highlight a few minutes rantings of why I love that song so much, what it mean, what it means to me, and sometimes just simply why it's been in my head all day. Uh, but in addition to that, I also just kind of pick whatever topics have been on my heart and mind the most, uh, occasionally with a sort of personal look behind the curtain with some things that... I really haven't shared over the last few years. It's it's kind of scary to be putting it all out there, but it's therapeutic in a way too, and I invite you all to share that with me. I categorize everything fairly neatly so that if you want to skip the music stuff or you're not into hearing uh, something I might have to say in the future about comics or video ga- or video games, you can just Look at the headlines. Look at what the first words are in bold print, and just go, ah, okay. Just gonna go right, right past that one. But I would sorely appreciate it if you would bop on over by the website. Uh, if you like an if you like an article, feel free to give it a like, give it a comment. Uh, hit the follow button if you want to subscribe by email to be informed of when I put new posts up, which is at the very least at 6 p.m. Almost daily, I've taken a few days off for Thanksgiving, but getting back to things tomorrow. Uh, you can also talk to me regularly on Twitter, at Comer Codex. I'm back to tweeting fairly regularly. Again, a little less the last few days, because I needed to recharge my batteries over the holiday break. But tomorrow, it's business as usual once more. And on a more significant note, uh, kind of keep an eye on both of those channels. Because with the debate over net neutrality coming, I have a lot of information and a lot to say that I want to put out there because I'm hoping that everyone having as much information as possible will stop the FCC from a decision that could open a door to tearing down the internet as we know it, love it, and in many cases depend on it. That, and as I'll explain, uh, that includes my livelihood. Not just my hobbies, but the ways that I make a living. Uh, Starting with a rather detailed piece that I'm working on over, over the weekend. I initially wanted to have it up Friday, but for the time being, I just want to make sure that has got the most information I can. So keep an eye on my Twitter. I'll let you know when that's about ready to go up. In the meantime, over on my blog, you will find a link to a change.org petition. I haven't checked the progress of it. Last I checked a few days ago, it was at 230,000 signatures with a goal of 300,000. Please, I implore you, Add your name to it before the December 14th FCC vote. This is an all-hands-on-the-internet-everything-counts kind of situation. Uh, I normally don't go the activist route, but in this case, yeah, this is something that, that I take extremely, extremely seriously. Uh, And in the meantime, one last thing. Uh, Like I said, I'm not just going to do the whole coming soon thing. I'm also working on my first wrestling blog in quite some time. Uh, I have a new series that's going to be coming soon to yeswrestling.com, the website uh, helmed in part by two friends that I think the world of and have all the respect and in the world for Tony Acero and Greg DeMarco. Uh, My blog is going to be called 8-Match Tag. Uh, It's going to to be essentially a series of 8-Match playlists designed for both long-time fans of the business and newbies who can perhaps just be introduced to a certain wrestler or match type or era in just – the the most short and sweet fashion possible, which in my opinion is just eight essential matches. And my very first column is going to be not exactly selective because I had to stretch to find eight, but it's going to be the eight matches that I feel from from beginning to end, not just I feel, but that do comprise the entirety of the epic Shawn Michaels Undertaker feud. You can look for that sometime this coming January. I'm working on that right now in between working on <laughs> an absolute pant load of other things. But lately, that's what I've been up to. Just getting back to creating and also trying to save up money so that so that I can move back to the desert fortress of Shawnitude. So... In the meantime, again, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for supporting everything that we at the and Broadcasting Network do. And as always, never dull your colors for someone else's canvas.
0: All right, folks. Court is now in recess. All rise. We will see you uh, for Jumanji and The Empire Strikes Back on trials next month. Those ought to be a guess. Sean Comer, this is your mandated reporter, Mr. Mark Rattles and thank and frankly I'm mortified. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>